What the hell is up you guys? My name is Jamie Logan and today I am here with Emma Hackinson all the way from Australia. She came here just for the podcast. Can you believe it? <laughs> and she is the freaking author of this amazing new book, Total Ethics Fashion. And she is also the founding director of Collective Fashion Justice. And she's going to talk about the fashion industry and give us the data, the stats, and everything that we need to know. Emma, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. This is so awesome. Guys, I met Emma. It must have been two years ago at this point. In the virtual world. In the virtual world, we met. And I interviewed her for this film called The Face of Fashion is Fear, where we talked about the wool industry specifically. And so we did an interview, and Emma's just incredible. So, Emma, why don't you just give us a little introduction about what you do and your new book? So, basically... Everyone's heard terms like sustainable fashion, ethical fashion, vegan fashion, cruelty-free fashion, slow fashion, fair fashion, blah, 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 blah. All of those terms have been kind of overused to the point that a lot of them are meaningless. And none of them are also all-encompassing or holistic. So total ethics fashion is a term that I coined. And the point is that we cannot work for a fashion industry that protects people or that protects our fellow animals or that protects the planet unless we're doing all of those things because we're all a part of nature, our well-being is all connected. Mm. So if we only address one or two issues, we're never going to be hitting the mark that we need to be hitting. So that's what the book is about, but it's also what collective fashion justice works towards. So we educate citizens we change how fashion schools teach fashion so that they have like an ethical groundwork, framework, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. before they look into design. We consult with brands and the fashion industry to get them to move beyond materials that are not a part of total ethics fashion. We focus mostly on animal-derived materials because that's where you can hit all three of those markers, animals, people, planet, at mm -hmm. once because they're a nightmare. Um, and then we do policy work at a government level as well. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing. I guess my first question is, how did you even get involved in the fashion industry? So I started off very differently from where I am now. I started as a model. And the more I became a part of fashion, and I loved being a part of fashion for the creativity of it, and I still do, but the more I learned about what I was actually using, like my face and body to sell, I became really uncomfortable with that. I used to have, you know, like a rabbit fur coat put on me, mm. leather shoes, wool, virgin fossil fuel materials, like every single thing, sweat laver, like everything that I didn't like, I was helping to sell. And when I actually realized that, I was like, okay, so things are going to have to change. And there's a long path between there and where I am now. But now I feel as though like I'm a part of the fashion industry in a way that I'm comfortable with because mm -hmm. I'm helping to transform it. Oh, my God. Well, you definitely are helping to transform it. And so, you know, last night we did a major disruption. Yes, I saw. <laughs> <laughs> at Coach, in case you guys are, you know, living under a rock or something, this is what went down. Me and another activist uh, basically got ourselves into the Coach fashion show and got on stage and did a runway walk holding a sign that says, Leather Kills. And it made headlines. It was on The Guardian, Teen Vogue, Daily like Mail. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. 
literally everywhere. Blew up overnight, The Cut, Glamour Magazine. And it was making a statement against these industries and saying, we no longer want to use materials that harm animals, that harm the planet, and ultimately we want to move towards sustainable plant-based materials. What do you think about that kind of activism with PETA? Yeah, so I saw it. I loved how many people commented on your walk being really good. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. um, and I also think like often, honestly, we will have brands that will say to us, do you work with PETA? And we actually like haven't done a campaign with PETA or anything, but we obviously have aligned goals in the sense that PETA is talking about moving beyond animal-derived materials and we're also doing that. And... Often they're like relieved if I say, no, it's not like a collaborative partnership. This is our organization. This is their organization. They're two separate entities. But I think a lot of them don't necessarily realize that part of why they've decided that they do want to speak to us is because the public is kind of developing outrage about the use of animal-derived materials. And a lot of that outrage has been whipped up by actions like the one that you did and so you know you can see like the moderate side or whatever but I think those forms of activism exist within an ecosystem Mm -hmm. that kind of helps shift things. I think that's such a great answer and I think you know you're kind of making friends with people in the industry and you're working on policies and at that level but I do think that there are a time and a place for different actions because it sometimes comes to a point where I feel like they're not listening to us. Yeah. And so, you know what? We're we're going to make the world listen to us. And I, I know it's an uncomfortable truth. And I, I posted this last night. I said, these are things that people don't want to see. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Everybody has leather in their closet. Nobody wants to look internally and say, I'm wrong. You know, they're, they're kind of right that, that it does kill animals and harm them. So, We needed to be creative about getting this message out there and making people see it. There's also brands that, you know, they refuse to engage with organizations like ours, with consultants that are trying to help them move forward in a positive Mm. way. And those brands tend to be the ones that take the most heat. Like Fendi, Hermes, Louis Vuitton, the ones that are like still using fur in 2023. Mm. Of course, they're going to cop more heat than the brands that are, even if too slowly, making progress Mm -hmm. like it gets to a certain point where either legislation is going to force you to make a move or society and culture is going to force you to make a move and that's kind of where we're at with a lot of these brands I think there's this concept of like the window of acceptability and what we think is acceptable and if there's not people taking actions that some consider more radical then somewhere in the middle is going to be seen as radical Like Mm -hmm. you need people to push so that other people can come forward. Mm -hmm. And there's also organizations on the other side of us that are pushing for like welfarist changes that I want us to go beyond. But the fact that they're there, it's like they all do have a kind of position. And I think that we need to be moving our position away faster. And I think more radical actions help us to move in that right direction. Yeah. I mean, call me an extremist, okay? Because... I just do not think animals should have their lives taken for a handbag or a freaking jacket. Like, imagine taking 
a living being that has their own thoughts, feelings, desire to live, and turning them into an inanimate object. Yeah, and I think the concept of what is radical or what is extreme is something that a lot of people subjectively decide with a lack of information. Like it is much more extreme to needlessly slaughter animals when we do have solutions that mean we don't have to. But if you've just kind of accepted that as a standard and you haven't considered why that is, then something that kind of tries to shift up the status quo is going to be considered weird. Listen, if that means getting up on stage and holding that sign, doing my little strut, I don't (laughs) fully know what I'm doing. Apparently some people liked it. Thank you. And getting literally wrestled off of the stage. That guy came at me like I was an NFL player. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, seriously, buddy, you're really taking your job very seriously. Okay. It's a little much. And I'm really interested to see what, you know, the amount of impact that something like that has is not always public. Like I'm interested to know and see what brands internally are talking about it and thinking about it and Mm -hmm. going, I'm glad that wasn't our brand. I wonder, you know, do we need to shift things to avoid this happening? Like, it's really interesting. Yeah. So there were some comments on this video and let's start to address them. I guess the first question I have for you is, does the leather industry work in partum with the meat industry or is it an industry on its own? So something I'm asked most days of my life is, is leather just a byproduct or people tell me it is. Um, in reality, the leather industry and leather itself is a co-product of meat and dairy production most of the time. The leather industry likes to say that they make a byproduct into something that is valuable and that basically it's like a waste reduction initiative where it's like, well, this was going to go to landfill and now we've saved it. That's not how the capitalist system that we live in works. No industry just exists to reduce waste without making money. The global leather industry is worth like hundreds of billions of dollars. Even at a small scale, an individual slaughterhouse that is not able to sell as many skins loses multi-million dollar profits. And we've seen that even if you're looking at the kind of cause of that, it's been specifically cited by the leather industry that, oh, as alternatives rise, our slaughterhouses are losing money. So you can't say we don't have a responsibility as the fashion industry to consider slaughterhouses a part of our supply chain or farms a part of our supply chain. Like everything that happens in the production of leather is what brands that sell leather profit from. Okay. You know what I mean? what you're saying is, let's break it down for folks like me. So we got a cow. It's being raised to be killed for beef or... For two things, for multiple things. Two things, okay. When a cow is raised, artificially bred, selectively bred on a farm, that farmer intends to make profit from the sale of that animal's flesh and from the sale of that animal's skin. Okay. So it's one industry that has two different forms of profit that come from it. So if you cut off the skin and you say, no one wants leather anymore... That's a huge financial loss. It will make meat more expensive. Fuck yeah. It's like having a huge subsidy, and we have a lot of subsidies in animal agriculture, Mm. removed. So Mm. it's not going to totally end the meat industry, but it will have to reduce the size of the meat industry significantly 
even the American Leather and Hide Council of America, they say, yeah, if we could make people buy leather for a higher price because there's greater demand because more people buy it, we will raise more cows, we will kill more cows. Mm. So behind the scenes of their own marketing, when they're talking amongst themselves as an industry, they know how profitable it is. I see. Okay. And are there certain breeds of cows that are better for leather than others? Because I know that even people don't often realize that dairy cows are sent to slaughter for Mm. the meat industry as well. They're all kind of intertwined. So calf skin leather is the most valuable form of leather because if you're a very young animal, a very young human, your skin is softer and you also Mm. haven't had as much time to have scars or bug bites or something that would be considered like a blemish and a fault in a product. Mm. So the dairy industry actually has a huge connection to leather because we know that all of the male calves that are considered useless waste because they won't produce dairy. In a lot of instances, the most profitable part of a male calf is their skin. Mm. So they're killed at about five days old, maybe kept alive for like a month, and then they go straight into the luxury fashion industry. And I think that's something too. People have a huge issue with fast fashion, as they should, but it's so important to not let luxury fashion and other forms of fashion off the hook because it's a mess all over the place. There's a lot of human rights violations in these industries as well, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, high luxury fashion. I mean, you were just looking up the ethical standards at Coach, mm. the freaking fashion show I just disrupted. And what did you find? Coach does not pay living wages, which doesn't surprise me at all. It's estimated that only like 2% of the fashion industry actually has living wages being paid to garment workers. Ugh. A living wage, just like to really make it clear, is what you need to have food, shelter, medical care, like really bare minimum stuff that you need to live. So a brand that sells a bag made from an animal skin for thousands of dollars that can't find the money to pay that is hugely problematic. Mm. There's also a huge link between modern slavery, deforestation and cattle ranching. So that's another way that environment people and animals come together and are all exploited Mm -hmm. for leather it's it's truly a despicable industry and you know people are commenting on the post they're like oh well you know it's not like vegan leather is any more sustainable it's plastics there's microplastics that are going into the ocean emma hit us with the facts (laughs) so it's true that vegan leather the most common type is polyurethane it's a synthetic it's plastic is not sustainable. It's not part of the future of fashion. But people have this idea that just because it's not sustainable, leather must be. In reality, we know that even the worst kind of vegan leather, because there is plastic-free, bio-based, recycled vegan leather as well, polyurethane has a climate impact that is seven and a half times smaller than cowskin leather. Oh, It also has about like 14 times less water usage. The amount of land that is required for cowskin leather and other leather to be produced is massive and has huge implications for biodiversity, species endangerment. Like it is a lesser evil. Mm -hmm. We need to move and have progress where it's like this is the worst thing, this is next. Ultimately, we need to phase out both. Mm. But it's not realistic and it's not helpful to – critique someone that is trying to move the fashion industry beyond something that is awful, Mm -hmm. animal-derived leather, 
like just be like yeah you're absolutely right let's also move beyond fossil fuels how can we look at the next generation of leather how can we look at bio-based plastic free animal free and that's what we're doing and it's the sensible choice. Mm-hmm. Well, these are just people that are trying to continue justifying their own actions. Yeah. And they, it's sad because they honestly, I think, don't realize w- what they're saying is they're actually proving our point. And, and s- one of the things, yeah. just to cut you off because it's so important, Please. most people don't realize, and this is like a little bit of a truth bomb that I'm going to drop on people, most animal-derived leather is literally coated in plastic as well. So it's not like a this or that thing. You legally around the world do not have to label leather as coated as plastic unless it hits a certain portion of plastic overall. So most leather is coated in plastic. The tanning process, even if it's not coated in plastic, renders it non-biodegradable. So it's not going to biodegrade just like a synthetic won't. Like otherwise skin rots on your feet. That's it's making something organic inorganic. That's literally the whole point of it. I was just going to say that leather is skin, which when you kill someone, they decompose they rot. and it rots and it disappears. And the leather industry, the fashion industry in general, has managed to take cow skin and make it last forever. How many goddamn chemicals do you think are on those pieces of leather? It's it, it's what do people think? It's just like a oh because it's cow, cow skin, it's sustainable. If they have even taken a second to look inside some of these tanneries where people are dunking cow hides into these terrible buckets of chemicals mm. and developing cancers of their own. I mean, you could go on and on and on how this is also a human rights issue, mm. how this is also an environmental issue. Where do you think those chemicals are going? Mm. It's going into our waterways. Mm. And it's not necessarily going into our waterways because it's a form of environmental racism in leather. We've exported most of our tanneries in Australia and in America to poor countries Mm. that are full of brown people because we're like oh we would rather they deal with the problem so in india for example and china the two top leather producers in terms of tanning there are areas that are literally referred to by the government as cancer villages because of the impact of those industries there's an area in india kanpur where the life expectancy for someone working in a tanning community is about 50 years old so there are so many layers to what is wrong with leather. We have four different reports, leather's impact on people, on the planet, on animals, and then a just transition beyond leather. And together they're like thousands and thousands and thousands of words because there is so much wrong with it and we still didn't cover every single problem. Wow. And it's not just leather. It's also wool. Yeah. It's also fur. It's also silk and any other industry that exploits animals for fashion and food, you guys. So I want to actually, while, you know, we only have so much time in this podcast, so let's like really just hit each one. What's wrong with wool? Because it's technically just growing from the sheep, right? Yes. To start with, it's only growing from the sheep because we have selectively bred sheep for so long. The mouflin is like the original sheep and they had a thin wool layer and a fur layer. And in summer, they just shed the fur. We were like, oh, we could make more money from this animal. We could exploit this animal if we just bred them so that the wool layer was huge. So that's where we're at now. Um, and 
Now, there are a lot of problems, a lot of different forms of mutilation that sheep are exposed to by those industries, legally without pain relief in almost all instances, including like in the responsible wool standard, you actually can cut the tail of a lamb off without any form of pain relief if you just say pain relief isn't available in the part of the world that I am. So it's really weak and not good enough. And when sheep are no longer profitable alive because they're viewed as a commodity, they're just slaughtered. That's sometimes when they're a young lamb still because they want the profit from meat and from wool, or sometimes they keep them alive and they shear them regularly for about five years, which is often just halfway into their lifespan, and then they're done. And often they go to life export. There's, again, layers and layers of cruelty, but the wool industry has very successfully, as with the leather industry, gone, but we're an alternative to plastic. But it's not sustainable either. Huge methane emissions, huge land footprint, and we have solutions to both plastic and animal-derived materials. I mean, think about it, people. There are so many resources that need to go into raising an animal, feeding them, watering them, giving them shelter, and then the gas that they let out. I mean, it's completely unsustainable. And I love how you before had made the comparison and you said, well, you know, there's certain vegan plastics that may not be great for the environment. The leather industry is still way worse. You sometimes see this with the dairy industry. Mm. So people will say, oh, but almond milk, milk, freaking (laughs) almond milk is so bad for the environment. So okay. have you seen dairy's water intake? It, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it may not be the best plant milk option in terms of water. I but need to show you something show me. in this. But it's it's still better than the dairy industry water intake. Totally. So I'm about to show a comparison of land use between wool from Australia, we're the largest producer, Cotton from Australia, we're also a big producer, and tensile lyocell, so another fibre that is biodegradable. Each square on this is a square metre for the same amount of fibre. So I just need you to show that to people because... Wait, 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 wait. This is all wool and then this is cotton? Yeah. Okay, you guys, this is (laughs) literally, for those listening that can't see, we are looking at a whole entire page and a half worth of The numbers are wool is over 1,350 square meters of land, whereas cotton is like 7 to 12, and tensile is like 1.25 square meters of land, all for the same amount of fiber. Okay, you can't – it's it's incomparable. Yeah, so biodiversity – Holy shit. In Australia, like species extinction, we are a leading contributor to mammal extinction around the world. Koalas are implicated by this. Everyone loves them here. Every species of like native bird that lives in these areas is implicated by this. It's something in fashion that we don't talk about enough and it is so hugely problematic. So I need people to care about the wool industry in terms of like animals are exploited directly the sheep but so many native animals are as well in australia too native dingoes we shoot them because we don't want them to damage the profit of the wool industry so it's just mess after mess so what do sanctuaries usually do with sheep with the wool that they have because you have to shear them because we bred them that way yeah so i know sanctuaries where they'll leave some of it out for birds to make nests with they will fill pillows to make bedding for the young animals that they have come in 
it's problematic because there is literally just so much wool. So different sanctuaries make different decisions and it's an imperfect world, but at least they're they're viewed as individuals, not as objects to, you know, extract profit from. Absolutely. And also one of the other issues with the industry is a lot of the workers are paid by weight and not per sheep. Per per sheep. So their incentive is to just shear as many sheep as possible as quickly as they can because they get paid by how much wool they're collecting. So there's no care or regard for the sheep whatsoever. And if you look at some of PETA's undercover investigation footage. And they've done like 130 or something and it's like the same thing every single time and they get cut up and stitched up and it's it's really awful to see so i did want to ask you as we describe each industry what are alternatives to leather that you would recommend Mm -hmm. and then what are alternatives to wool that people can buy so i think first like i said it's like you do the best you can if you can't find the most sustainable alternative you still find something that is more sustainable than cowskin leather um and that includes like if you really don't want to buy synthetics new there are so many synthetic shoes that are secondhand that already exist in the world you can just buy them um but if you're looking for the best materials available miram is great it's plastic free it's all bio-based it's circular blah 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 um Pinutex is a good one. It's not perfect, but it's so much better. Same with something like Oho Skin, same with something like Deserto, same with Apple Skin. Like, really, the list is endless. Super cool. Apple Skin, Mushroom Leather, Pineapple Leather, Cactus Leather is a new thing. Yeah, and we have, like, a whole material guide on our website. And I think often I see fashion journalists be like, oh, Pinutex, as an example, the pineapple one. Um, They'll be like, it has 5% a synthetic coating on top. It's like, well, leather probably does too. And 5% compared to fully synthetic or compared to animal slaughter and all of the emissions and cruelty associated with that, like, we're winning. It's progress. It's not going to happen overnight. So... I will take the win. Yes. It's great. Absolutely. And you guys, just to tell you the website, because we didn't say it before, it's www.collectivefashionjustice.org. Yes. So... That's where you can check out some of these studies and alternatives. And then what were the alternatives to wool? So cotton, ideally, that's rain-fed or recycled, fair trade. Like there's lots of ways to source it sustainably. Tencel is really good. It has similar thermoregulating properties, which is why people like wool. Hemp is a good one. Um, And there's lots of recycled materials that you can use as well. And also like you can just swap it for like a down-free coat or something. It doesn't have to be a direct comparison. You just want to stay warm, then there's lots of options. So what is your take on secondhand leather or secondhand fur? So I don't wear either of them. When I first was aware of all of these issues, I was worried about waste. And so I was like, I'll keep wearing what I have. But then I was patting this cow, Elira, who I had helped rescue. And I was feeding her a little treat And the little treat dropped on my foot. And so she licked my shoe to get the treat. And I just had this awful sinking feeling in me where I was like, you just licked skin of the same species that you are. Could have been your cousin. You just licked like skin. And that was just, I couldn't have a closer connection between like, there is this animal in front of me. I love her. I like worked very hard to protect her. And I have skin from an animal just like her on my body. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So that was my moment where I was like, I understand 
my whole previous argument of waste reduction, but I don't want personally to perpetuate this notion that a skin is a material. Right. Because it's not at someone's skin. Well, when you wear it, you promote it. And so let's say you look good. I mean, you're a model. Like, people are looking at you. They're like, ooh, I like what she's wearing. I'm going to go buy that. Yeah. And I like being able to say, like, I have yeah. this shoe on. This is what's, what it's made from. Every panel, everything that I'm on, people ask me that as like a gotcha moment. I'm like, well, let me tell you about it. It's this wonderful bio-based material. It's free from animals. Like, yeah, it's a no from me. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. So now we're going to get into fur because fur is something that is – that's been under pressure for a long time now. And I feel like out of all the industries, most of the public is – is in agreement that fur is unnecessary and that it's extremely cruel because of the practices that they do to the animals. They confine them, they electrocute them, they oftentimes skin them alive, and it's just really gross just looking at it. It's like an animal's fur, and anybody that has a dog or a cat, you could really connect to that this was once an animal. Yeah. So what's your take on fur, and why is it maybe unsustainable? Maybe talk a little bit about the connection with COVID and the minks and... Mm. So there's a lot of things wrong. It's unjust in that animals are killed specifically for fashion. About 95% of them are confined to really small cages. A wild free fox in their native natural habitat would roam like 10 square kilometers and they get about one square meter in a cage. Um, And if you look at the environmental aspect then there's lots of emissions still. A lot of pollution around factory farms that goes into the water can result in eutrophication, and eutrophication in water can lead to dead zones in water where fish and other aquatic life can't live. So that's another layer. A lot of workers in the dressing of fur, which is like tanning for leather, get sick for similar reasons. And also, when we put wild animals into confined conditions, we perpetuate the risk of further zoonotic diseases. So COVID was hugely connected to the fur industry. It's why like 15 million mink were culled all in once in Denmark. And then I think just like the thing that will surely get anyone on fur is that the humane practice by the definition of the fur industry of slaughtering animals is to insert a probe into their mouth and their anus or rectum or even their genitals and turn off an on-on switch that electrocutes them. So if that is what is defined as humane, I think that kind of says it all. Oh my God. It's to even think about that and put that image in my head, like I can cry in it right now. It is so disturbing and There's just never a right way to take somebody's life, but to really think about, like, the fashion industry and how they take these beautiful animals and turn them into, like, bags and shoes, it's really, really despicable. And I have a hard time not saying something to fur hags when I see them on the street. Like, I try to change my approach person to person. I sometimes will do the public shaming. Sometimes I just sticker them with, like, losers wear fur stickers just so, like, when they walk around, people can see it from behind. Um, I just think it comes to a point where we have to make it socially unacceptable. And unless people feel uncomfortable wearing it, I don't know if we're going to achieve that change as you said before, you look at those leather shoes that you used to have and you see an animal, you see a skin, you see a being that was once alive 
and the same goes with with fur and fur coats. It, it's it's perpetuating the idea that it's okay to wear somebody else's skin and fur. Mm. And um, so yeah, I I that is my approach. Sometimes I'll go up to them. I'll be like, "Hi, do you have any idea like how many animals were killed for that jacket?" Mm. And some people play dumb. I don't know if they really just don't know, or they'll say, "Oh, it's secondhand," and you know. It doesn't really matter because you're walking on the street promoting it. Mm. There's a really good scene in Slay, which is a documentary everyone should watch if they haven't. And Emma's in it. <laughs> Small plug. Um, and there's a really good scene where the director of the film, Rebecca, is sitting on the floor surrounded by all of her old clothes, fur coats, bags, like luxurious fashion. And she says something like, a spell has just been broken. The way that I look at them now is so different because I see the animals and the individuals behind what it took to get these. And I think that that's a really kind of powerful thing people can do is to actually look in their wardrobe and consider what happened to get there. Were there animals involved? What happened to them? The hands of the people that made them? What happened to those people? The planet? We have such a disconnect between what's in our wardrobes and the reality of it. And bringing the reality together with us is the best way that we can make decisions that actually align with our values. Oh, that is so beautifully said. Yes, that that's what it was for me. I had gone plant-based, you know, I changed my diet. And mm. then, of course, I had these makeup products that were tested on animals. I had, I think, two pairs of leather shoes. I didn't have any fur, but I definitely had, like, um, wool. wool. Yeah. yeah. And so I really had to reconsider, okay, let me, let me think about donating this. And there's actually some organizations out there, like Coats for Cubs, that you can donate fur to, and they will use it to rehab orphaned and sick animals. Which is so lovely. That's so cute. You. Come on. Yeah. Come on, guys. Just donate your fur, <laughs> please, or else I'm going to have to chase you down. But I guess the next question that I have for you is silk. What is wrong with silk? Because the other day I was with my best friend Avril and she asked me to take a few photos of her in these this new pajamas set that this brand sent her. And I was looking at them and I said, Babe, like, what is this? You know, what what material is this? This looks and feels like silk. She's like, it's a luxury pajama brand. I think it is silk. And she's vegan and had no uh, idea yeah. that silk comes from silkworms and that it hurts them. Mm. Can you tell people a little bit about what silk is and the process of creating it? So silk is the fiber that a silkworm makes their cocoon from. And the easiest way to get that fiber and to reel it out into, you know, one long filament is to either steam or boil alive the pupae, the silkworm that is like turning into a moth inside that cocoon. Oh my God. And a lot of people are like, oh, but you know, we don't even know if they feel anything. I think that that's really important to address because it was not that long ago that we were like, well, fish don't have feelings because they don't have a neocortex in their brain. We now know that that is totally untrue. And we have like study after study coming out about insects and their capacity. Bees can if experience states of pessimism, like if they're trapped and then they're unable to get out, they like give up and they feel depressed. That is so interesting. And I think it's really important to consider science and the reality of other sentient life when we're talking about this kind of thing. 
Well, the reason that we're able to oppress others is because we devalue their lives and we say, oh, they're different than us. Oh, they're worms. They don't feel pain. They don't think. Oh, fish, they have fins. They don't walk. So it's okay to eat them and kill them. And it it, it allows us to justify our behavior. So I I think just as a whole and and just as compassionate people, we should try to look at ways that we're all similar Mm -hmm. and, and try to see that we all have a right to be here on this planet and that we shouldn't have dominion over all of these species and that, in fact, if humans didn't exist on this planet, it would probably thrive and all species would survive and thrive without us. Like, we completely have come in, taken over, killed trillions and trillions of beings for our own taste, pleasures, and fashion statements, and uh, we walk around like we're the greatest species on Earth. I think it's really interesting how people choose to define intelligence. Yeah, we've made skyscrapers, we've made computers, we have AI now, but we have also single-handedly destroyed and brought to extinction so many other species. We're making our own planet that we live on uninhabitable. Is that intelligence? And I also really like to refer to animals, like I did earlier, as our fellow animals. I think the best way that we can stop oppressing other animals is to realize that we are just animals. We're homo sapiens. We're one species of many. And there are lots of things about us that are wonderful and are exciting, but there are lots of things that are wonderful and exciting about so many other species, every other species too. We're different but equal. So well said. I completely agree with you. And, you know, as we begin to wrap things up, I do want you just to talk a little bit about collective fashion justice and and what studies you guys are finding, what's next for you, and how people can help and support you. The best way people can support us is to inform themselves. Like, you can't take action unless you understand what's going on. We have so much data and reporting and information so that you can do that. We also just launched in the book at the end and on our website, there's a manifesto that people can sign. And it basically says that they agree that they want the fashion industry to move beyond animal-derived, fossil fuel and deforestation-driven materials, to pay living wages and to exist within planetary boundaries. So, It's like that has to be the golden point that we're working towards. The fashion industry doesn't view it like that yet. So the more people that we have signing that, the better. Guys, in in an hour podcast, we can't cover every single detail about these industries. As Emma was saying, there are so many layers to this. So simply by buying this book, Total Ethics Fashion, you can find many more studies in here, many more comparisons, see really what's wrong with the fashion industry on a deeper level. But then also going to your website, collectivefashionjustice.org, and looking at all the the materials that you have on there. Mm. And sharing it with your friends, like our social media, the whole point of everything we do is to spread information that results in system change. We can't do that if no one knows about it. So every share matters. It seems like a small thing, but the whole point of collective action is that one little thing that you do, if a lot of other people are doing the same little thing, it makes a big impact. Okay, and so what's next for you guys? We, at the moment, are speaking with a few different Fashion Week organisers about policies to protect particular wild animals. So that's all I can say for now, but it's very exciting. Um, We're working on another series of films, and we are also talking to a lot of brands at the moment about the same kinds of policies moving beyond animal-derived materials. And that's the most exciting to me, because it's a really tangible, like, 
things are changing. We're replacing it with sustainable and ethical materials. I love that. That's so great. You know, and I think the thing with fashion is people use it as a way to express themselves. It's an art. It's something that we can also look cute and be sustainable. You know, you don't have to like be in rags and, you know, weird kind of like hippie clothes or things that I wear. You can usually like look like Emma and like actually look fashionable and cute and not hurt animals. And if fashion is a tool for expression, it should be a tool of expressing your values, not only your aesthetic choices. Oh, my God. Let's wrap it up on that. That is so good. (laughs) So, Emma, where can everyone find you? So, Collective Fashion Justice is just at Collective Fashion Justice everywhere. And me personally, online, I'm Hakame, H-A-K-A-M-E. Cute. Okay. And can people just message you if they have questions or should they email? They can do whatever they like. Beautiful. Guys, definitely go check out the website, collectivefashionjustice.org. I'm at It's Jamie's Corner, itsjamiescorner.com. You know how to reach me. And thank you so much, Emma, for just enlightening us and just for doing everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me and thank you for pushing us where we need to go. Super important work. Now, before this snot runs down from my nose because I'm extremely (laughs) under the weather, I'm going to end this podcast now. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Such a funny way to end it.